you know, back yourself. That would be the biggest lesson I've learned in the last 10 years is, you know, if you're if you're driving it, have the confidence that no one cares about it more than you, no one thinks about it more than you um, and harness that to, to make good decisions uh, and bring people along with you on the journey, like talk to people. Uh, I always say like when some the be- some of the best um, thoughts I've had is when someone has said no or that's a silly idea or and if you can dig into that and find out what people's concerns or thoughts are it can often give you ideas that will help turn the problem around so on this episode of Startup Explorer we talk to Abigail Forsyth co-founder and CEO of Keep Cup we'll learn how she went from running a cafe business in Melbourne to building a company on a mission to replace disposable cups with a well-designed, reusable alternative. Abigail, could you start by sharing the story of how Keep Cup was started and if your cafe in Melbourne played any role in that? Yeah, so uh, when we started Blue Bag in 1998, I think we were one of the first businesses to bring in a branded disposable cup, if you can believe it, into Melbourne. Um, it was brand. It was blue and it was branded blue bag. And I still remember the lawyers coming in saying, "I feel like a baby drinking out of this. Like, why would I drink out of a paper cup? Like, there's a, a sort of a certain amount of revulsion about it." And then fast forward, what almost twenty years, and pe- everyone drinks out of disposable cup, cup, and no one thinks twice about it. So, it was in that period. So we ran that business for. 10 years and over time I just became appalled by the amount of packaging we went through as a business and I could spend days breaking down boxes in the kitchen uh, and the amount of packaging we bought and I wondered why don't people reuse like why is no one coming in here and um, bringing in a reusable there were probably about two or three customers who did and they were very um, I guess green like they they were they wanted to be recognised as greenies um, and they came in with their sort of either big mug or one of those big thermos-style cups and it was always a bit awkward. It didn't fit under the coffee machine. Um, how much should they be charged? Should they get a discount? Like the whole transaction was a bit clunky um, and also you didn't know how to dose the coffee in, into the cup. So it, the millage, to, like if you if it's too big, you're going to get a really milky coffee or if it's too short, it'll be too strong. So that was one thing um and then i just thought they were ugly those big thermoses they're very utilitarian and um not particularly urban i guess so those were things we thought about and then um but we still thought you know why has no one done this before it seems such an obvious problem and there must be an obvious solution um so in the winter of 2007 we got some decor like plastic soup mugs and we gave people a 50 cent discount if they came in and didn't use a paper cup they used a reusable and 15% of our customers reused so we're like wow like there's a there's a market for this and if there is a market it could be global Um, but then still we sort of sat on it because we're like you know we've never manufactured anything you know it was a a big journey that we we knew would be undertaking and in my mind, the catalyst for me was that I um, had a, my daughter and I'd go to work in the morning and I'd have a coffee in the morning, coffee in the afternoon disposable cup and she'd have her milk in a sippy cup. And I thought, would I give her her milk in a disposable cup and then throw it in the bin? And, and it just seemed wrong. Like there was something sort of, you know, the innocence of a child and, 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 and a disposable world. And I thought, well, if it's wrong for her, how come it's okay for me? And it was at that point I realised that a lot of it was about behaviour change uh, and, and getting people to 
you know, change the way they thought about things. And that really excited me. And I guess that was the sort of catalyst for me to go forth and um, start the business. I, I read that one of the challenges you saw was that when customers were bringing in their own reusable mugs into your shop, some of the baristas wouldn't be happy about that because it was so different than the cups that they were used to. Was that was it very clear to you from the beginning that you needed to include the barista or the coffee shop as one of the the customers in a sense of of, of a keep cup? Absolutely. So we knew, you know, coffee is about as much as about it being about a beautiful coffee. It's high volume, so you need to be able to turn the the turnover fast. So we knew it had to replicate the internal volumes. I wanted to look. Um, not be sort of a self-proclaimed greeny product, like something quite, you know, when we first launched Keep Cup, the colour palette was really neutral. So if you, at a glance, if someone was walking down the street, you probably wouldn't even, it could be a disposable cup because I thought people who, you know, it's quite interesting where it, I don't know where it is in the States, but in Australia, we sort of came in at a point where the green movement really opened up to everybody. Um, And I think prior to sort of 2009, in order to have any part in the sustainability conversation, you had to be a greenie, whereas sort of from 2009 onwards it opened up and now, you know, it's everyone's problem. Like everyone's got to get their hands at the wheel and everyone's got to do something more sustainable in their life if we're to, you know, sustain our lifestyle moving forward. So, um, yeah, that was the timing of that was very fortunate for us and I think we've been part of that that change in, in the commercial landscape. I'd love to hear more about the design process and what that was like. How did how did it go from an idea in your mind to the final product? Uh, so, I mean, I did a little sketch that I took into the – we got industrial designers and um, graphic designers involved right from the start. Um, and I took in a little sketch, and it doesn't really look that different from that initial sketch. But, it, I mean, obviously between the the – broad brushstroke idea and the technical detail required to achieve that there's a uh, a lot of work goes into that uh and there's a lot of detail in the way that lid um attaches to the cup um in the choice of materials in how it would be shipped and stacked so we wanted something that was stackable so we ship in components to um our la warehouse and our uk warehouse so that they can be made and it reduces the the sustainable footprint of the product in terms of the design process yeah I mean it's really it's really fun at the start when you come up with the concepts and then actually Steve showed us this graph of what happens like you you go on a real high when the product um, you get the design concept and then it's sort of you get the prototype and then you go really as as you go into manufacturing you feel is this ever going to end why am I encountering all these tiny problems and then at the end hopefully you you reach the other side and it was similar for us like we um I think between getting the tool off the machine was like about six months of tuning that tool so that the the cut was perfect. You had tried a thousand variations on the lid so that you wouldn't have a a leaking issue during the prototyping process? Yeah, we did pop on, pop off. So we were all sitting there at our desk with the, like taking the lid on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off, uh, and then testing it that it didn't didn't leak. Were there any worries that you had at that point in the process, you know, where you started thinking, man, is this ever going to turn into something that we can ship to people? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, one of the um, great stories about the business, which is a nice one for budding um, entrepreneurs, is that um, 
we went to see tool makers and, and we wanted it manufactured in Australia for the sustainability reasons. And I saw this guy and he said, you know, I've got a million dollars worth of tools sitting on that bench over there with people like you who thought they had a great idea. And he goes, this is just a plastic cup. Like what on earth are you thinking? Um, and he goes, if you can't sell it off a prototype, then the idea doesn't, you can, you can make the best product in the world, but the idea doesn't resonate with the public. So go and try and sell it off the prototype. Um, and initially I was like pretty annoyed, uh, but I took his advice and called like I think probably over 100 businesses and we did. We sold two, got two big sales off the prototype, which virtually covered the, you know, part of the cost of the tool. So one, it really helped our cash flow. Two, I got to practice the pitch of the business and understand what was important to people long before the brand ever launched. And then three, moving on to that, so we this um, we were dealing with a company called Energy Australia and they were doing a roadshow where they went around with all their staff to uh, – and this was going to – the Keep Cut was going to be the gift and uh, she needed it in on, I don't know, February the 1st or something and we're still trying to get the tool done all through January. Um, it's being pad printed on, and the, the band was like really thin and there were a few issues but I was just wanted to get this order out. She paid a deposit but I kept her informed of what was going on and I said, I think I can get you a 1,000 for this first day and I, I flew up to Sydney to deliver this first 1,000 cups that we'd assembled at my kitchen table um, the night before and when I got back to the airport, she said, look, I can't use these cups. They're, you know, some of them are leaking, the band's too thin, um, the print job's not quite good enough. And I was like, you know, I can imagine I was just devastated, like I'm going to have to pay back the deposit and just what a disaster. And she said, look, you've kept me informed um, and I had a backup gift because I thought this might happen. And if you, um, if you think you can make it by the end of next quarter, I'll keep the order in and you can supply us next quarter. And um, once you think the product's ready, send it to our occupational health and safety team and the engineers will have a look at it and give you their feedback on how it works from an occupational health and safety point of view. So it was just the most, you know, from an absolute disaster situation, it was such a gift. Um, so, yeah, I guess my advice there would be, you know, keep you've got to keep communication channels open and if you inform people and bring them on, on the journey with you, they will do their best to help you. The two buyers that you had gotten off the prototype, were those, uh, it sounds like that was probably a coffee shop in Sydney. Were they, is that what both of them were? One was um, Energy Australia, so an energy company, and they were talking about their alternative energy. So this was a, a, a link into the sustainability conversation because we sell to corporate. So a lot of it is about um, trying to improve um, sustainable behaviour in the workplace. And so the other one was to National Australia Bank as part of, it was a gift to all the staff when they moved into a green building. And what, what made you think to reach out to corporate buyers first? It seems like the cafe route, especially given your background, might have been the more obvious choice. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess, well, in a way, I mean, I am a lawyer made good. So I do kind of fit naturally into that world. So that, that was a world I knew and could kind of go and feel I could talk to. Um, and also because we saw so many, I, I saw the, the habit of the corporate consumer. So they, you know, at 10 o'clock, they come downstairs, they get their coffee, they go back to their desk. So it seemed like a good, a routine opportunity where a reusable cup could be used, fitted really in, easily into somebody's routine. 
And is that how you grew initially? Was it mostly to companies? So the first two sales were to, co- to companies and we certainly continued that channel and, and it continues today. Then we did some design markets like um, around in the capital cities of Australia, so selling to individuals and that really helped get the word out. In fact, the first design market we did, um, someone was there from Apartment Therapy, the LA blog. And they did a blog and that uh, um, afternoon I saw seven sales like across America from people reading this blog. It was quite extraordinary. Uh, And then from there we did a market. um, Oh, yeah, one of my favourite stories, we did a market in Sydney and this girl came up and said, look, I'd really like to, you know, use a keep cup but I drink Campos coffee and like they are way too cool for um, this sort of product. And then the next week, Will Young from Campos Coffee rang up and said, I've been looking for a product like this for 10 years. I'm going to buy uh, 10,000 of them. So overnight, we we saw what an opportunity that was and how important that was to get the endorsement and support of, of the, the specialty roast. There must have been a lot of challenges to getting an order like that so quickly. Uh, how did How did you deal with scaling the production? We thought that it was really sustainable to send the cup out in bits and make the customer put it together, which now I'm just horrified we did that. It was such a terrible brand experience. Here's four bits of plastic, put them together yourself. We now only sell them, you know, fully assembled in a box. Um, We've learnt our lesson there. What Would you say um, your biggest customers now buy it directly from you? Is it individuals buying it at cafes and retail shops or is it companies? It's sort of a really nice mix, actually. We're not, we're a business. I mean, we, even though we sell to companies, we're a business that has grown from the bottom up. So usually when we get into companies or even when we get into big cafes, it's, it's, peop, it's actually the consumer, it's consumer led. So it's people saying, oh, I think we should be doing something about this in our business or in our cafe. Let's get, let's get Keep Cup. This, that, that's the product I like. Was it challenging for you to stick with just cups? It sounds like especially with the environmental aspect being important, you know, you could get into reusable bags. There's all sorts of other markets that seem ripe for, you know, for you to enter into. Or did you know that I'm going to stick with this market? It's what I know best. I guess, I mean, the cups have kept, the short answer is the cups have kept us super busy. Um, So growing that. And because we um, immediately made, drew all those connections with specialty coffee. Um, if we go into any other products, then you immediately lose that channel. So we're sort of looking for products that are that go into that specialty coffee channel as the principal um, channel in the business. How do you maintain relationships with not just so many channels, but so many outside of Australia? A lot of uh, plain work. <laughs> And then getting good people on the ground in, in other countries. Like we've got, um, I think, over 30 distributors. Um, and, you know, communication, a face-to-face meeting is just the, the best thing in the world, but you don't need that many of them. Like once you've met someone month, once face-to-face, then, you, you know, whenever you talk to them on the phone or email them, you know, you're picturing them in your head and it, it you know, makes the conversation flow a lot better. For people that don't know, how big is the problem of to-go drink cups or coffee cups being thrown away? Well, the only statistic I've ever been able to find is Jim Hanna, who's a sustainability uh, manager at Starbucks, said in 2009 that it was over 1 million cups a minute, so 500 billion a year. And I would dare say, despite our best efforts, that number has grown. So, yeah, in terms of the global waste crisis, it's nothing. But in terms of the impact of of convenience culture, it's 
you know, pretty catastrophic. You know, when you think your grandchildren say, well, I can't travel, you know, I can't do all these things anymore. And you said, well, I wanted to have my latte in the morning. You know, like there are things you might, you know, you still, people still want to travel and go on planes and do some wonderful things, but it seems such a trivial thing to want to, for us to be doing that's such, so destructive. The big thing that stood out to me when I bought my first Keep Cup is how beautiful the design of it was. And it's also, you know, going along with that more expensive than most reusable cups that you find. Did you know immediately, it sounds like you did, that you wanted it to be really well designed? And was that, a, was that, was that thinking a part of getting people to actually adopt it? Oh, absolutely. So like all the conversations at the start between myself and my brother were, is it, you know, are we going to be about sustainability or do, do we want it to be sexy? Um, and I guess what we came to is that, you know, for us, sustainability had to underpin everything we did in the business because that's what that was the co- that was the cause we were trying to address. But in order to bring people in, it had to be beautiful. Like I, I mean, I remember my grandmother. I she used to have this horrible old coffee mug that was chipped and brown, and she, you know, have a tea out of it. And I bought her this, you know, beautiful. I was probably about ten. Bought her this beautiful cup with the flowers on it, and thought she would just swap it over, and she never swapped the cup over. She loved the, you know, she loved her cup for, and I, it's that. Um, so I guess with our color and the design and all those things, we're trying to create a personal relationship between you and the cup you choose, so that you you seek it. You go, oh, well, you know, I like drinking coffee out of my keep cup, and that's that's going to be the driver more than oh, I want to do the right thing. So what's been the biggest challenge for you since since embarking on the the first? design probably the biggest challenge has been the growth of the business and and sort of building a team and a culture that that is is robust and works and i guess quite frankly the biggest challenge has been the u.s market it's quite different from everything else we've experienced so here and in europe like they people go i get why you're using plastic it's lightweight it's dishwasher safe um they understand that the plastic is um Number five is the most recyclable, like it's the most likely to get a closed-loop system, um, whereas in America there's an absolute aversion to a plastic product and a, people can't understand how you could have a quality design product and it be plastic. They can't reconcile the material with the with what we're, what we're saying. It doesn't ring true, I think, for a lot of U.S. consumers. So most of our sales in the U.S. are glass. In the U.S., 80% of our sales are glass, whereas in all other markets, it's the reverse. So it's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And in the U.S., I, I, again, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but there's a lot more uh, compostable cups that I've seen. I don't know if that's a trend elsewhere, but some people see that as a possible solution as opposed to reusable cups. Yeah, they're a bit tricky though because even though they're compostable, they're compostable and they have to be put into commercial composting facilities like specific composting machines. So in Australia, there's only four of them. And so that means you have to actually separate the waste stream of these compostable cups. They can't because if they just go into any old bin, they're just going into landfill and they will not compost. There's a bit of greenwash there in terms of the old compostable cups. But yeah, I mean, why not? Like they're, they're still better than the other ones. But they're not they're not a solution. Yeah. So where do you see things going forward in the next five to ten years? I'm a girl who only just likes to see a couple of rungs up the ladder. I don't have a <laughs> a big plan. But I guess just um, 
you know, building the business, building the, um, the, the strength within the team. We've got some other product development um, in the wings um, and we've sort of got a great reach in terms of our supply chain now. So just really using that and I guess trying to develop the platform on which we speak about issues of sustainability and, um, yeah, consumption would be, yeah, what I would hope to do. It sounds like you've handled a lot of the growth and potentially other challenges that you've had with a lot less stress than I've heard from other entrepreneurs that I've interviewed. A lot of times, you know, you can kind of uh, even just just getting an order for 10,000 units can can create a lot of stress. And it sounds like you've been able to handle that with with a lot of confidence. Was What do you think is the, the root behind that, like that gave you the ability to do that so well? Uh, working in the cafe industry, because I always say, you know, at Blue Bag, we had 40 staff, people would turn up, they'd be sick, you know, you had to get, you had, there was massive hygiene issues, like you, you, that was critical, you could, you could actually kill someone if you didn't um, make a sandwich correctly, in theory. Um, if people don't get their lunch on time, they're absolutely raging, whereas these are cups, they don't call in sick. They don't have a use by date. I can't kill anyone with them. You know, so this has been, um, yeah, we had a trial by fire with the, the cafe business, which we ran for 10 years. So this has been a walk in the park, really, and a joy. Like, it sent me all around the world. I've met amazing people. Like, I'm just incredibly grateful for the opportunity and, um, yeah, whatever hardships have come along the way, they've, they're nothing compared to the benefits uh, was that a conscious decision to go into this type of business that is very different than running a cafe? Yeah, it was for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'd had enough. <laughs> I noticed uh, in uh, kind of looking at your bio that you went to business school in Melbourne. Uh, did you find anything that you learned there helped you with, with running and growing this business? I'm actually a business school dropout. I went for two years and then I... Um, yeah, dropped out. I don't know. I yeah. I it was really interesting, but I was just so busy, and I just couldn't um, devote the time to it at that point in my life. Um, and it was also like just between you and me and your listeners, it was like thirty-two male engineers, and then like eight other people. So it was a very skewed, um, <laughs> skewed group, skewed group of talents. So yeah. You mentioned a little bit about having been a lawyer in the past, what's, what was it like for you after dropping out of business school? What was your career path like? Did you, were you a lawyer before starting the cafe? Yes. I was a lawyer for uh, five years and then started the cafe and then from the cafe to blue bag, uh, from blue bag to keep cup. Um, So I didn't really enjoy the law degree as such, but I worked in a small law firm and I worked for a man who I really respected and and that was a great job and I learnt a a great deal there about negotiation, about attention to detail, about, you know, a balanced approach, which I still struggle with, Um, but I recognise the merit of it in that job. Great. Well, I know you you have a lot of things to do, so I want to wrap it up with just one last question, which is what advice would you leave our listeners who might be thinking about starting a project, already have started a project, and is there anything that you would say to them, whether they're they're struggling or even if things are, are going well? 
you know, back yourself. That would be the biggest lesson I've learned in the last 10 years is, you know, if you're if you're driving it, have the confidence that no one cares about it more than you, no one thinks about it more than you um, and harness that to, to make good decisions uh, and bring people along with you on the journey, like talk to people. Uh, I always say like when some the be- some of the best um, thoughts I've had is when someone has said no or that's a silly idea or and if you can dig into that and find out what people's concerns or thoughts are it can often give you ideas that will help turn the problem around so yeah take people with you on the journey perfect well Abigail thanks so much for joining us thanks Ben that was great nice to talk to you 